Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Jesse Shell. He's the CEO at Shell Games, and he's a professor of entertainment technology at Carnegie Mellon University. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you guys are doing at Shell Games is actually very innovative and cool. And you've also had some other really cool jobs before Shell Games. But maybe before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Oh, sure. Yeah, let's see. Uh, <clears throat> when I was younger, I guess till I was about 14, I lived in uh, Morris County in northern New Jersey and then moved to uh, western Massachusetts for high school. Okay, interesting. And, uh, both, yeah, both interesting places to be. So you went to university. What did you take and why? Well, let's see. First, I went to Rensselaer, where I studied computer science. Okay. Um, and I focused on that because uh, it seemed like best bet for me for a career. Um, through, through my teenage years, I was really focused on two things. One of them was video game programming, and the other one was um, <laughs> uh, juggling and circus arts. Interesting. And, Yep. So I, I'd, uh, I worked at I worked in a few different circus troops, and I I used to work at uh, the park that's now Six Flags New England, doing all kinds of shows. But when it came down to it, I said, you know what? If I if I really want a job with three meals a day, I should probably follow the computer science path. I didn't really follow the game uh, video games at first because at the time, you know, it just didn't seem realistic. Um, I didn't know anybody or know anybody who knew anybody who was in that. That, that business or that space. So I was just really focused on more traditional computer science. So that was where I first went. Um, so I went to Rensselaer in, in New York State for undergraduate. And then uh, I ended up going to graduate school at Carnegie Mellon uh, after I'd gotten a job with uh, Bell Communications Research. And they sent me to grad school. And I had, that was where I first started working on virtual reality in the early 90s. And wow. so that really made a big change in my life. You were like very early on in VR then. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I've been at VR for since it was since it, well, not since it was brand new. I mean, it was brand new in 1968, but sure. Um, since since it really uh, was kind of available, um, yeah, I've I've been at it pretty pretty solidly since then because I went from Carnegie Mellon to uh, yeah, you know, I was back at Bell Bell Communications, but. Uh, shortly after that was when I got a position at the at the Disney Company, working at the VR studio in the mid '90s, and that was when I really that that was when video games and VR came together as a career for me. Very cool. So, walk us through what you did at, at Disney, because I think in a lot of cases, like in some cases, like that's a lot of people's like dream job, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It certainly. Uh, it, it it certainly was a dream job for me. Um, you know, I'd grown up around 
uh, amusement parks and, you know, I'd been working in them doing shows. So it was, it was something like I, I knew a lot about. Um, but uh, the idea of like being able to help create the Disney parks, that was, that was something I never even imagined could be possible. Sure. It's kind of funny because for me, um, when I was growing up, I didn't really have a very good view of the Disney parks. Um, you know, it was never something I, I, I visited, you know, my, my, my family wasn't especially wealthy growing up. And so it wasn't a thing we ever did. But the only thing I really knew about them was I, you know, I'd see parades on TV and I'm like, these look really corny. I, and, and, you know, I just, I just kind of had the impression that it, that, that there wasn't much to it, that it was just going to be really corporate and not very, um, innovative. And when my wife and I got married in uh, 95, she said, you know, uh, why don't we go to Disney World for our honeymoon? And I was like, you know, I wasn't especially into it, but she was into it. So I'm like, okay, yeah, sure. So we'll set that up. So I went down there and it was really life changing for me because I had no concept of the level of quality that was brought to um, theme park attractions down there. Yeah. Um, And and that that was that was hugely inspirational to me. And one of the things that we saw on that trip was Disney's first virtual reality installation, which was this really small thing kind of in a corner, kind of in a hidden corner of uh, innovation, innovation, sorry, interventions at Epcot Center. And uh, I was like, oh, my God, Disney's doing VR. And it was the best VR I'd ever seen. And Interesting. I immediately started asking people there like about it, like, is this, is there a, do you, are you guys hiring people? Because I've been doing VR in grad school, you know. And they were like, no, no, we're not really hiring. But then I kind of kept an eye on things online in the, you know, back, way back then. And I happened to see they had a job posting for their studio in California. And so I applied to it. And it's it funny because what they were looking for was somebody who uh, knew how to do AI programming. And that was the focus of my undergraduate work. Somebody who had experience with virtual reality. That was the focus of my graduate work and someone who knew how to put a show together. And of course I've been doing all the circus work. So, wow. Um, it's like it was, the perfect it fit. worked out really well. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, it really, it felt perfect to me. And so, uh, I went and, uh, and got the job and it was very exciting. Um, we were doing a lot of inventing. We built this thing called Disney quest, which was sort of Disney's virtual reality theme park. Um, and later built a game called Toontown online, which was Disney's first massively multiplayer game for kids. Sure, I remember that. That's that's wild. I remember playing that. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, I was lead designer on that. That's very cool, man. I I love, like, I've had the opportunity through the show a, a few times now to like talk to people like yourself, or I pl- I played their stuff as like a kid, or like an or recently <laughs> or something like that. It's always been really cool when you you get to meet somebody that yeah. like you've actually worked or played with their stuff. Right? It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's fun. So walk me through. You you left Disney, like obviously you're the CEO of Shell Games. Mm-hmm. So how did that come to be, and what do you guys do yeah. at Shell Games? Yeah, yeah. So my wife and I we both grew up East Coast. You know, we we actually met in high school when I moved to Massachusetts. Oh wow, cool. And moved to California uh, for the Disney job, and so we were in living in LA for about seven years, and during that time we had a daughter. And we started looking at each other and thinking, wow, is her hometown really going to be Burbank? Is this really how we're going to do it? Because, you know, we didn't have any family on West Coast. and uh, L.A. is just really 
different compared to living in the Northeast, right? You know, Fair things enough, like yeah. weather and seasons and all that sort of thing. And we started thinking about, well, actually what really turned it for us was 9-11. Okay. So 9-11 happens. Yeah. Um, and I'm supposed to go in, uh, let's see, I'm trying to do the math here. In October, I'm supposed to go and be the best man at my best friend's wedding growing up. Okay. And he still lives back in New Jersey. And at the time, the government is saying, you know what, if you can not get in an airplane, um, we would appreciate it. So please avoid air travel at all costs. And so we said, well, you know, we've always wanted to drive across the country. Why not do it with a 10-month-old in the car? This is a great idea. <laughs> so we ended up driving across the country. And about halfway through the trip, uh, you know, my wife, you know, she says, are you thinking what I'm thinking? And I said, are you thinking that um, every place that we see is looking nicer than where we live right now? And she said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. And I said, yeah, I was thinking that too. So over the course of the trip, we started talking about, well, if we were going to move, where would we move? What would I do? How would that work? And I happened to know this guy, Randy Pausch, who, if you've ever heard of the last lecture, um, which was kind of a thing yep. uh, several years back, that was, that was, uh, that was Randy. Um, so Randy was professor at uh, Carnegie Mellon, and he wasn't there when I was a student, but he started this thing called the Entertainment Technology Center at Carnegie Mellon. And, uh, but before that, he had been a professor uh, at another college and ended up doing a sabbatical at Disney. And when he did the sabbatical, he ended up with a desk right next to me, and I was kind of put in charge of keeping him out of trouble because his whole idea was he'd seen that same Aladdin uh, VR exhibit at, at, at Epcot that I saw, and he felt the same way I did. He was staring at it. He was, a, you know, he was doing VR at the Ph.D. level, and he's like, how is it that this looks better than anything that's happening in the best research academia? And he wanted to find out what it was. So he, went, uh, he ended up doing a sabbatical at the VR studio at Disney. Wow. And we became really good friends as, as part of that. And so then later he goes and starts the Entertainment Technology Center at Carnegie Mellon. And uh, when I was thinking about, well, where, where could I work on the East Coast? Um, I called him up and said, you know, hey, you, you know, I know you've got that ETC going there. Do you need anybody to teach game design or something like that? And and he said, yeah, actually, we do. And so we tried that out. And that's, so I actually ended up moving out to Pittsburgh to teach at Carnegie Mellon and starting up shell games on the side. Interesting. Okay, very cool. So what made you actually decide to start up shell games? Yeah, so after teaching for a couple of years, well, actually, well, initially I started shell games just as independent consulting for me. Because going from kind of Disney executive to um, assistant professor working nine months a year at a college was a big salary hit. Sure, and so I can there imagine. was a little bit of like, yeah, it was a little bit of like, okay, I better fill this, uh, gotta better see if I can augment the salary a little bit. So I started doing some just consulting on the side, and I needed to get a little entity together for the purposes of doing the consulting. Right. And so initially, that's what Shell Games was. It was just me doing consulting on various game design things. And after doing that for a couple of years, two things happened. First of all, um, I started realizing the realities of teaching. Um, 
And because what happens with teaching, these new students come in and they're super green and they make all these dumb mistakes. And you say, no, 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 not like that, like this. And after a couple of years, they get really good. And you're and you say, wow, this is you guys are really this is really great. I love working with you. And then they're like, OK, I'm graduating. Bye. And then new people come in and they make all the same mistakes uh, again. And I realized, oh, my God, this is is this going to be my whole career? Just watching people make the same mistakes over and over. Um, and I thought, I wish there was a way I could do the teaching and kind of work with people who were kind of new, but also find a way to keep working with people. And right around that same time, some of the clients I've been working with were saying, hey, I appreciate your consulting, but if you could pull a little team together, we could throw you some development projects if that's interesting to you. And of course, that all came together for me because I thought, hey, I could, I could reach out to some of the people who graduated and kind of say, hey, would you like to join this entity? And I could keep working with them. And so I tried that and it worked. We got four or five people together, started doing some of these projects and it was and it was super fun. And that was really how Shell Games really got started. Very cool. And you guys have built some really well-known, popular games. Do you want to talk about some of those? Yeah, sure. Now, the funny part is there's, there are some things I can't talk about and we've worked on. That's fine. Uh, like some some of the theme park projects and things that we've worked on are very well known, but like for contractual reasons, so like sure. we're not supposed to talk about them. Sure. Um, but some of the some of the things that uh, anybody who knows the VR space uh, has likely seen some of our titles. So, for example, the uh, our, our best known one is a is a VR game called I Expect You to Die, which is basically a series of secret agent themed escape rooms. Um, that's that's a lot of fun. Um, we've also done a sword fighting a VR game called Until You Fall uh, that's been very popular. Um, and, of course, going back in time, we've worked on all kinds of things. Because Shell Games now, I think we're 18 years in on my company. Wow. So, and, it was, and it's been a huge variety of things. Um, uh, everything from you know, interactive projects for, the, for, for SeaWorld and for Disney to um, – we even done some preschool stuff. Anyone with really little kids is probably aware of the Daniel Tiger's Neighborhood Show. Yeah. <laughs> and we've, we've done, I don't know, 15, 20 games uh, for – Based on uh, Daniel Tiger, sure. Um, so, so we've 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 done those things. I mean, we we've done dozens and dozens of games. You know, everything from mobile to um, to to VR and and PC games. Like it's it's a lot of stuff. A um, lot lot of variety. We've done a lot of Star Wars things. We did the if anybody saw the Jedi challenges augmented reality uh, lightsaber game. We, Sure. Uh, we created that. Uh, another VR one was the was the the Star Wars Droid Repair uh, VR game, and that was that was a really fun one too. So it's a, a big variety, a lot of different things. No, that's that's really cool. It, it's funny because when I was like when I first found out about you guys, and I was I was looking in, it's like it's funny because you're like, oh, my kids have played that, and my kids have played that. And it's just like it's pretty cool, right? <laughs> like to see that stuff. Yeah, and especially the Daniel Tiger stuff, like. My kids are uh, three and five, so so yeah, they're they're and then like my oh, sister right. and kids too. So it's like it's just funny how like even just in my immediate family, they've played like a bunch of this stuff, and and then like I get to talk to you like a few months later, right? It's pretty cool. Um, <laughs> you know what's what's really funny with the pandemic, uh, video game sales have generally gone up, but we had one game that really shot up in sales. 
Okay. And that was our Daniel Tiger's stop and go potty. His the yep. potty training game. Yep. Uh, the sales on that just started doubling day for day, and uh, so that that was kind of interesting to see. I think suddenly that became a more urgent problem for some people. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs> That's cool, man. So walk us through some of the other services that you guys provide at Shell Games. Well, the way our company is set up, um, you know, different companies set up differently, especially game studios. Some game studios um, work primarily off of publisher deals. Okay. So they're really in with Activision or EA or, or, or one of those. Um, others, um, they, are, they have kind of an investor basis. Right. And so you've got, uh, you know, in, in investors behind them. We don't have either of those. What we tend to do is work for higher projects. Okay. So somebody will hire us to make this game or that game. We try and make those projects profitable. And then um, we try and take the profits and invest them in our own stuff. So, so we have a, a lot of variety in the types of things that we do. And so, and since we kind of have a specialty in working on unusual things, it's all over the place. Sometimes people come to us and say, Hey, we've got a brand new technology. Can you help us make something for it? So like magic leap, augmented reality headsets, they came to us and, said, hey, we, we want to make a Star Wars thing. Can you help us? So we made this this game all about the Porgs. It's kind of like a pet game where you actually get to pet the Porgs as they kind of jump around on your couch. Um, or um, we have other, other ones that, uh, boy, it's all over the place. Because sometimes you have these theme park stuff because you'll, you've probably seen it at theme parks more and more. They're kind of getting interactive and having digital um, – aspects to what they're doing totally so we've been doing a lot of that kind of stuff okay um so there's a, there's a huge variety and then we do a lot of health games is a is is a big thing for us we, we really have four areas of business you know theme parks and museums health games education games and then just straight up games for home entertainment and so we're usually doing about eight games at a time and it's usually a blend of uh, a variety of those interesting no that's that's really cool. So you guys are working on a new educational history VR game. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, sure. We're, one of the new ones we're doing, yeah, it's a History Maker VR. Um, we'd done some educational VR stuff before. We, we'd made a chemistry lab game called Hollow Lab Champions, okay. which is kind of like, it's weird. It's like a chemistry lab game show, which is kind okay, of funny. Okay, interesting. Um, but we were thinking about what are different topics that you could hit with vr and everybody always talks about oh we'd love to do history we're gonna we're gonna take you back to ancient rome and and, and all of that and you say well that sounds cool but then you're like really i gotta build all of ancient rome and then what am i actually doing there it just it gets really expensive so we started thinking about what are more economical things that would have um a little more longevity and we realized one of the things you can do with VR is use it to capture the motion of uh, the player because you're tracking the hands, you're tracking the head. And we started thinking about how one thing that is so important, you know, for, for students, so culturally relevant is the ability to create good videos between YouTube and TikTok and, and everything right. else. Creating videos is a really important part of literacy today. Um, that's, it's just part of how we communicate and how we communicate well. 
And so we had this idea, we're like, what if we made a VR game where you get to be these different historical figures? That's cool. And we're like, well, but what would you do? Like, what would, would we actually have to go through the day? We're like, yeah, that'd be really expensive. But what if we made a thing where you get to be these historical figures and we're going to put you in a TV studio? So we set it up so you get to pick who you're going to be. You want to be, you know, Harriet Tubman. You want to be Abraham Lincoln. You can kind of become this person. And now you're in their body. And there's a microphone on the headset. So every time you talk, like the mouth on the character moves. That's cool. And we, we basically put you in a TV studio and we give you the opportunity if you wrote a little speech or something, it, it appears on the teleprompter. And now you have the ability to kind of basically act out a speech um, by this person and get it recorded and then pop it out as a video. So you can kind of put that up on YouTube or whatever. So it's partly designed to be used like in a history class so that you can like literally step into the shoes of this person and kind of do a performance of that person. So on one level, it's kind of a simple idea, but on another level, like people talk about trying to be, trying to understand these historical figures. And like, when you actually look down and like, you know, their skin is your skin and um, it, it kind of, it's a very special and unique feeling. No, that's, that's really cool. Uh, no, that's that. When, when does that come out? I think we're dropping that in August. I'm pretty sure is when, when that is going to come out. Okay. It'll be available on Steam. Yep. Very cool. So you also wrote The Art of Game Design, and it's like mm -hmm. a very well-known game design book. Do you maybe want to talk about the book and all the other – because you guys have broken that out into kind of a bunch of other products with a deck and an app and – and whatnot. Do you want to talk yeah. about that? Because I, I think, at least from my experience and, and kind of going through the book myself, it like there's a lot of really good advice, especially if you want to get into the game VR AR space. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, Art of Game Design is now in the third edition. The first edition came wow. out way back in two, 2008 now, I guess. Um. So the book was based on the class I started teaching at Carnegie Mellon. And I've okay. always been interested in thinking about game design and entertainment. Um, even, you know, even back in my Disney days, I was always interested in the theory of like, what is it that people actually find engaging and people actually find entertaining? And uh, the way the book came about is funny. Um, I was at a conference giving a talk and, uh, this book publisher was there and he, he said, Hey, you know, I, I hear you do a lot of work with the Panda engine, which was Panda was just like an early, a game engine that actually came out of Disney. And I said, yeah, I do a lot of work on that. And he says, would you like to write a book about it? We have some interest in the Panda engine. And I said, wow, no, I sure don't. Um, <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you, I do have a book I've wanted to write all about like the psychology of entertainment. And he kind of shook his head. He's like, yeah, no, no one cares about that. Um, but if you could kind of make it about the psychology of game design, there's a market for that. And I thought, well, I'm teaching the class in game design and I'm using all my psychology of entertainment stuff in the game design class. Sure. Why don't I give it a shot? And it took me a long time. It took me about five years to kind of get it all together. It, it, it wasn't easy or obvious because at the time, mid 2000s, there weren't a lot of game design books. You know, people right. were playing games like crazy, but, there were just a handful of game design books and some were good and most of them were not so good. 
Um, and I started talking to really senior game designers, you know, real, real experts in the industry. And I said, yeah, I'm thinking of writing a book about game design. And some of them would shake their head and say, no, you can't. You can't actually write a good book about game design. And I said, why? Why, why not? And they said, because different games are different. And any advice you give that you think is right for one game, it's going to be wrong for another game. So you're going to find yourself saying stuff, and it's just right for some games and wrong for other games. Interesting. And I thought, yeah, you know, that, that is kind of right. Um, and then I started thinking about, well, what can I say that wouldn't be wrong? And I had this big insight, which is that questions are never wrong. And, that, and I was thinking about that and thinking about how, yeah, you know, we, the way we make good games is we ask ourselves a lot of questions all the time. Okay. And once I realized that, I thought, oh, what if I could make a book all about these are the questions to ask yourself? Because the question might be not relevant, but it will never be wrong. And that ended up being the framework of the book. So the subtitle, you know, it's The Art of Game Design, A Book of Lenses. And the idea is each of the lenses in the book is really just a little set of questions to ask yourself on different topics. You know, there's like lens of emotion with questions about the emotional parts of your game and lens of character, things about the characters in your game. Um, and there's about, I think it's now a hundred and mm-hmm, probably about 116 lenses are, are in the, in the third edition of the wow. book. And that's the, the book's done really well. It's been very popular. And I think part of that is I tried to make it very accessible I kept thinking of myself in high school trying to figure out like what made for good games. And I kept thinking, well, what would I have wanted to hear? What would have helped me then? So I really tried to make it something people could explore on their own. And that was, a, a, that was both complete, but also as accessible as possible. No, that that's very cool. So y- you also have something called the deck of lenses and, and then like a, a digital yeah. version of that. Do you want to talk about that and how are they similar and different from the actual book? Yeah, sure. So well, after I'd made the, got the book together, I realized, you know, I found myself like, I couldn't remember all the lenses just off the top of my head. You know, there's a hundred plus. And sure. so I started thinking, you know, I wish I had kind of a deck of cards where I could kind of pull these out. And I thought, yeah, we should make that. So we made a deck of cards where each card has like a little illustration that goes with it. And then the questions that you might ask yourself. And it's really useful just for kind of a, for quick reference, but also we use it for a creativity tool all the time. You know, you're stuck on something. Maybe, maybe it's like, Oh, this section is boring and I don't know why, or this game's missing something. I don't know what it is. We'll often just take the, deck out deal everybody a few cards everybody kind of flips through the cards they have and it's like okay talk about the cards you've got and is anything relevant and very often it really sparks ideas um that uh that you wouldn't have thought of just just on your own so the the physical deck is nice and you can you know that's available on on amazon but also we thought you know for convenience let's make an app so that we made a free app for ios and android that does a lot of the same uh function it has basically a digital deck of cards and you can kind of use it for the same kind of as a creativity tool the same way. Sure. And then you also have a version on online that people just play with it in their browser, correct? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> I, 
I have to, to double-check that because that, uh, I, don't, I can't remember if we released that or not. If no. we released it, it's out. If not, it's coming out soon. No, no. I, I'm like actually like I have it up right now. It's, it's actually really cool. Like, okay, good. I, I've been playing with the All Android right. and iOS versions, but there's also a web version too that, that people can play with. The, the thing that's interesting because cool. – I, I, I couldn't remember if we no, released that, it. I'm glad we did. No, no. It's cool, man. <laughs> the, the, thing that's, the thing that's interesting to me about – what you guys are doing is I, I've seen in like kind of the user experience design side of kind of software, there's been these different kind of sets of UX cards they, or whatever. There's a bunch of names for them. Mm-hmm, but, it, mm-hmm. but it's interesting sure. to see like a game design one because I think even a lot of the stuff can be applied to any vertical of design, right? Sure. Obviously, yeah. it's you guys are building this like for game design, but – when I was looking through this stuff, I was like, wow, that that really gives me a different view on building kind of software or startup or or that kind of thing, right? So I think, sure, they're tailored to game design, but I think anybody that is in the design space or whether they're actually doing the visual part or um, thinking about the people using the thing or, or just trying to solve some problems could get a lot of valuable insight from just kind of checking out what you guys are doing on uh, on on your deck of cards? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the, and the reason for that is, I mean, design is design is design. Like, um, if you know, just the stuff in my book. Where did I learn these lessons? That I learned from game designers. Yeah, some of them. Sure. But I also pulled stuff I learned from architects, from musicians, from right. novelists, from actors. Um, you know, there's architects. There's all. There's so many different places that you can kind of pull wisdom from because it's all what it is, all is in the end is it's all human experience. Sure. Um, and that's, 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 that's definitely part of the, part of the secret of it. You can, you can, you can learn how to create great things in from so many different dimensions. And the funny thing about games is, uh, you know, I sometimes talk about games as being the art form that subsumes all the others because, you know, you can't put, um, you can't really put a game into a song or a game into a movie, but you can put everything into a game. I can have songs, movies, uh, plays, novels. I can have all of that in a game. Games, games just kind of subsume everything because all a game is is just like an interactive experience that you do. <laughs> and so, yeah, so yeah, the thing that the, the things that make for good games they make for good everything. So yeah, there's 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 definitely a lot that can transfer. Interesting. So you've obviously mentioned it throughout the show that you've been in the VR space for a number of years. Like it seemed like VR was the like really, really hot a couple of years ago. And I don't, I'm not Mm -hmm. saying it's not hot now, but like, what do you, where is the state of kind of VR and AR? Because I think, Google's doing a bunch of stuff. Apple's doing a bunch of stuff. Obviously, some of the bigger bigger names in the gaming space are also doing some stuff in those spaces. But where is the state of kind of VR and AR right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's a little complicated because different people mean different things when they say sure. uh, VR and AR. Especially AR is a really confusing term because some people say AR and they mean you put on these glasses and you're looking at the world and the world is overlaid in your glasses and other people mean, Oh no, it's like, 
Pokemon Go on my phone. That's AR. Right. Um, so that AR is AR is kind of all over the place in terms of what it actually means. VR is a lot more focused. It's you put on this headset and you're looking at a virtual world that's not actually there. Um, so right now, VR is way ahead of AR because VR is just so much easier. Because VR, all I have to do is make this artificial world and put your body into it. Okay. With AR, to, like the, the phrase we often use with AR is, you know, augmented reality is better when it actually augments reality. Um, Interesting. A lot of AR doesn't, right? Sure. A lot of AR is just like, oh, we're, we're going to float this thing in vague space in front of you. Well, why? What, like, what does that get me? Why wouldn't I just interact with it on the screen? Um, when AR is, is powerful, it actually interacts with the space around you in a way that's relevant um, to people. And that's way harder because it means that the computer actually has to scan and understand the space that you're in. So technologically, it's, it's a lot more difficult. But for VR right now, um, there, you know, there's been a lot of excitement because we've kind of crossed this threshold where suddenly there are good headsets that are powerful and they work. The problem we've had for the last few years is they're really expensive. You know, you can get the Vive or the right. Oculus Rift, and first you got to buy a thousand dollar computer at least, and then you have to buy like a six or eight hundred dollar headset, and that's 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 pricing that's just way out of reach for most people. Sure. But the the corner's been turned. Like Oculus now has the Quest system out, yeah. and that thing's three ninety nine, and you don't need a computer, and you don't have any wires. You just put this thing on, and you go, and they can't they they keep selling out it's just constantly selling out they can't make them fast enough and the people who have them are buying games like crazy for every one game that we sell on pc we sell about 10 on the oculus quest wow it's clear that, that oh yeah it's clear that this is the path forward on on vr um particularly if they start to get competitors particularly if the price comes down a little more like it's it's really that's what VR is going to look like over the next I don't know four or five years is going to be this you know this this headset that you just put on and 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 go so um, I, you know I, I mean I've always loved VR because it's special the people always talk about VR like it's like oh it's like 3D glasses like it's some technology for your eyes but it's not the difference with VR is VR lets you put your body into a computer simulation and the the vr experiences that work the best are the ones that actually involve your body so for example you know we we've been working on until you fall which is a sword fighting game and it's exhausting because you have to like swing swords all over the place you're like constantly you know swinging and blocking and moving and ducking and and all of that but you're doing with your real body and there's something about having your real body in a space that it's just a powerful experience. You can't get any other way. Um, one thing we, I think about a lot is the question of how we decide what's real. Sure. Um, nobody okay. is ever watching television and says, and says, Oh my God, wait, I thought that was real for a second. Nobody ever thinks that you just, you know that what you're watching on TV or on a movie screen, you know, it's fake, right? right? It might, it might be weird or disturbing or whatever, but you're never worried that it's in the room with you, right? It's, it's just not how it is. Sure. But a thing that happens in VR a lot, like we'll be doing a puzzle game, and maybe there's like a virtual table next to you in VR, and people will be like working on the puzzle, and then they stop and they think, 
And then they will actually go to lean on the virtual table. And then they'll like, whoa, 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 that's not there. Whoops, right? And of course, sure. intellectually, they never thought the table was real. But something inside them, the part of their body that decides how the world works and how space works, actually believed that the table was real enough that they, their arm reached out to lean on it. And, because, and that's what VR does. It creates this, this deeper engagement with the simulation that you just, you just can't get any other way. And so I, I just love it as a medium uh, for that reason because it's, it's just so rich and interesting. No, that that's actually really quite fascinating. You're right. Like it, it's probably one of the most amusing things to do is watch somebody with a VR headset on. And I find yeah. like children are hilarious with it, right? Like it's right, just, right, right. yeah. Or, well, I should say people of all ages, but I find like just, I've given my kids a VR headset and just like watch them play with it. It's actually really quite fascinating. And like, sure, they're having like the greatest time, right? But you're, you're right. Like people actually think certain things are happening or something happens and they like pull off the headset because like they get freaked out or it's, it, it's quite yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, it, right? it definitely, it, it can, it can definitely be too much, right? It's, it's, and, and the funny thing about VR is the stronger your imagination, the stronger the experience is. And that's why it's so strong for children because children have super strong imaginations, you know, not like adults who tend to have kind of withered dead imaginations, but um, <laughs> it, it's, 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 it's really powerful. Um, and, uh, you know, AR has some of the same potential, but the problem is you have to, to create the illusion because AR has a harder problem because VR has to just create the illusion that your body is in this world that's not there. Right. Uh, that's what VR has to do. What AR has to do is it has to convince you that objects from the simulation are in the real world room with you. And that's a lot harder to pull off. Um, and uh, so, but people are working on it and making progress, but it, it, it is tougher. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. So where do you see kind of VR going? Like, it, it sounds like it's mm -hmm. been growing like crazy and it's obviously the barrier to entry is getting a lot cheaper, but like, where do you see VR and, and even AR kind of going in the future? Do you think all mm -hmm. games are going to move to to that are we still going to kind of play the traditional games with keyboard and mouse or or like a gamepad or, or what do you think the future of gaming is going to be yeah no it's a it's a great question um everybody tends to think oh a new technology is coming out it's going to take over everything and that's almost never how it happens right kind of like i remember when ipad came out people were like oh we'll never have laptops again we won't need them. We'll just all have an iPad. And, you know, it turns out, no. Um, people now have both. There's iPads for some things and uh, laptops for other things. Sure. And, you know, same thing, mobile games came out. Oh, we won't need to do, um, uh, we, you know, we won't need to do PC games anymore. It's like, no, that's, that's not right. We'll just have a different kind of diversity of gaming. And so my prediction is I think VR is going to be a healthy chunk of the game industry. Um my guess is it is going to, like, I've been saying stuff like by 2025, I don't know, it's somewhere between 10% and maybe a quarter at most of the game industry, which isn't totally taking over, but it's not nothing, right? Sure. Um, to, to, be, to be more than 10% of the game industry um, will be a significant thing. But the, the important part to notice, though, is it will be 
the richest, most, uh, most intense uh, and most engaging 10 to 25 percent of of the of the game industry. Um, and we've, you know, we've already seen some verification on this, right? The new Half-Life comes out and they're like, yeah, forget flat games. We're going to do it in VR because it's just a lot richer um, of a medium. And so I think, I think we're going to see more and more of that. So I, I think that's where VR is going to dominate. It is also going to have, it also has potential for education. And it's certainly been used in various industrial purposes for like 30 years. And so it's going to keep being used for that. Um, but it's also going to be a, a, a nice, healthy chunk of the uh, entertainment space. Sure. Well, and I've also seen um, or I've had people on the show that are doing VR stuff for re- rehabilitation for um, yeah. a bunch of different things, whether it's like somebody in prison or somebody that's looking to learn like a new skill or, or, or that yeah, kind sure. of thing. Like there's a bunch of things that you could do um, – in that as well right that are obviously not necessarily like just focused for entertainment which i think a lot of people also forget about too right is there's a bunch of things that you can do with these technologies that are outside of entertainment and i'm not saying entertainment isn't important because i think arguably and I, i think some video games make more money than like the biggest blockbusters right like the gaming space is sure. huge, right? And I think, and it's still growing. And I think more and more people, to your point, it's like you you want sometimes like to have like this big gaming machine down in your like in your office or gaming room or whatever that you play certain games on. And sometimes you're playing like a mobile game on your phone or your tablet while you're you know maybe taking public transit or sitting on the couch, right? So like. People play different types of games in, in different environments, but I think it's the market is only going to get bigger. And, and as we add different devices, whether they're, we just hold them or, or we wear them and they're fully, fully immersive, like the future is mm-hmm. kind of – I think like we're maybe not at the beginning, but we're only maybe halfway through or, or whatever that is to what gaming can and will be in the future. Oh yeah, no. There's so much. There's so much more coming. I mean, I think uh, the VR headsets are going to start to become normal. It'll be interesting to see like how things go with AR headsets. They're going to be a lot slower in order, in, in, particularly in becoming part of um, the sure. entertainment world. They're going to be a lot slower. And then the other big change that's coming is going to be the AI change. Yeah. Um, you know, once we start to have characters that can actually act in a somewhat realistic way and have a meaningful conversation, that's going to have such a big change in the way that video games work. Because right now video games are kind of, there's a real primitive quality to them. Sure. Um, you know, when we, we sometimes talk about the difference between games and movies is um, if you look at the verbs that happen in games and move versus movies, um, the, you know, games and movies both have a lot of physical things, jumping, running, shooting. Those are all things that happen in both of them. But movies have a lot more uh, talking, persuading, flirting, things that just don't work well in games. So we often say things that are below the neck, games are really good at that. Stuff that's above the neck, games are really struggle with it. And once AI crosses the boundary and starts to have characters that can can do these things, talk and persuade and 
um, and, and all of that, like you're going to start to have drama in a way that we haven't seen before, right? We're going to have stories that are so much more interesting and much more touching than, than movies and film have been able to get near. So I think that's one of the big changes. And I don't, I don't expect to see that too much in the 2020s, but I think for the 2030s, that's going to be a big focus of like what, what's, what's new in gaming. It's going to be these intelligent characters is going to be there. Why do you think it's so far out? Just the technology's not there yet? Uh, well, it's a combination of things. Uh, so AI tends to be slow. Okay. It's just how it is. Yeah. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so part of it is, the, is, yeah, the technology's not there. But even once you get the technology there, um, then you have to figure out how to use it artfully. Right. And that's going to take people some time to figure out how to get that working artfully. I mean, it still kills me how incredibly primitive things like Siri and sure. Alexa yep. actually are. Yep. Um, it's almost, I hate, to, I, don't, I, don't, I don't mean to insult the teams working on those, but it's, it's almost like they didn't, the people working on them aren't aware of how human conversation actually works, right? Because yeah, I compare and contrast those systems, like there was this, thing that came out from Motorola like I don't know 20 years ago that was so much better than what these guys uh, have right now and and only better in its limited context it was a it was a it was built into some of their phones and it was a voice system for dialing your phone and it actually understood the rhythm of conversation so you know you would say you know dial Bob and it would say, oh, uh, okay, I can dial Bob, but do you mean dial Bob Jones or do you mean dial Bob Smith? Right. And you'd say dial Bob Smith. And it's like, oh, okay, Bob Smith. Um, hey, cell phone or, uh, or, or landline? And you'd say cell phone. And, and if it understood everything and it felt good about it, it wouldn't say anything and it would just dial. But if it was a little unsure, it would say, okay, dialing Bob Smith on his uh, cell phone. Is that right? And you'd say, yeah. And then it would just do it. And it was just so rhythmic just the way we interact with each other and right now computers can't they just don't do that sure um and we're and but i think by the 2030s we'll be crossing that boundary interesting jesse sadly we're out of time but how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself shell games the book and anything else you want to mention yeah, sure. Uh, it's easy to get information about me and my stuff. Uh, just go to jessieshell.com. That's J-E-S-S-E-S-C-H-E-L-L.com. And there's links to uh, the stuff I'm doing at Carnegie Mellon, the stuff that's happening at Shell Games, information about the book. And, uh, you know, and, and I give a lot of talks and things. There's links to those. You can find all of that right there. Perfect. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show. And I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day, man. All right. Thanks. Great talking to you. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community, sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.